This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our almost 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. Hi, I'm Marianne Hitt. And I'm Anna Jane Joyner. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, we'll be talking about climate stories and movie stars. We have a great interview with Joel Bach, the producer of the Emmy award-winning climate series, Years of Living Dangerously. And we're talking with him about telling climate stories that can change the world and what it's like to work with some of the biggest celebrities. But first, Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Anna Jane. Oh, it is another crazy week. How are you doing? I'm good. I just feel like this whole past few months has been a giant swirl of activity and craziness and a lot of beauty too. Um, But I can't imagine being in your position in the midst of all of this, like literally in the midst of, of all this craziness, especially in regards to climate and the environment. And I'm, I'm curious, like, both how you're doing on a personal level and what the hell is going on, <laughs> what we can do about it, because um, it just feels kind of like an onslaught of, of insanity. Well, by the time this episode airs, uh, if the fine people at places like the New York Times and Washington Post are correct, then we are going to have some big environmental and climate actions by the Trump administration that I want to fill you in on. And so our listeners can get involved. But I'll just tell you, you know, we're going to have to do an episode on this at some point because I have some moments when I feel like a ninja, like I am just ready to get out there and like kick so much butt like a superhero for, you know, our air and our water and our families and our creatures. And and then there are days when I just want to get back in bed and put the covers over my head. I totally get it. I'm... I think and sometimes you're win I hero of the year award for all of the work that you are doing right now. Well, sometimes I feel both of those things like within an an hour. I, I wonder <laughs> if it's not like a psychological like thing that's happening in the world because I'm I'm definitely not in the middle of the policy and and politics of it like you are, but I have similar you know like moments where I'm like hell yeah we're gonna beat this thing and. This is, you know, like I feel inspired and excited. And then then I have plenty of moments where I also just want to crawl back in bed. And so I wonder if it's a universal thing. Oh, yes, I think so. Well, listeners, tell us, tweet at us, let us know. (laughs) Um, But I think also that it's like when the specific things that the Trump administration is doing are starting to roll out, those are some of the, the hard moments because of how serious they are. So let me just give you the quick uh, breakdown. So there's three probably things that are going to happen in the next few days, at least that's what the the rumors are. Um, and the reporting is uh, one is uh, starting Trump, starting the process of unwinding the clean power plan, which is the 
climate standard, carbon pollution standard for power plants. And that's the centerpiece of what the U.S. took to Paris. And so the whole world is definitely going to be watching. Now, the good news there is that it's a very long process to undo that standard, and we will be fighting every step of the way. Um, But that's part one. Part two is trying to roll back a stronger standard for how fuel efficient our cars are, how many miles to the gallon your car gets. Those have been steadily strengthened over the years, which means every mile you drive, you're putting less pollution in the air, and they want to roll that back. And then the last thing, and this is the one that I think is um, uh, probably least understood, but in some ways not most important, but more important than people realize, there's this thing called the California waiver, which allows California to set higher uh, car pollution standards than other states if they want to, because California has such bad air pollution that's mostly coming from cars. And one of the ways they've addressed it is had a higher standard for cars, you know, miles per gallon. And um, that means that all the auto manufacturers have to make cars that meet that standard because California is such a big market. And they are threatening to take that away so that California mm-hmm. can no longer set these higher car mileage standards. And that's that's not just doing away with an Obama era standard. That's digging deep back into the Clean Air Act and dismantling a very fundamental protection that I think everybody has taken for granted for a long time. So there's some serious stuff on the horizon and we definitely need people to get involved and raise their voice. Yeah. Tell us like what what should we be doing? Um, And also I'm curious about these budget cuts to the EPA too. Is that kind of a done deal or is that conversation coming up soon? The budget cuts to the EPA are, uh, there's sort of two, two budgets that are out there in the wild world of Washington, D.C. The president puts forward a budget that is really about their vision for the government. President Obama put forward a budget every year that had lots of great stuff in it, but it uh, never was the actual budget because the Congress didn't agree with him. Um, it's actually Congress that holds the purse strings, and they actually are the ones who who sort of sign the check and appropriate the money. And so what, so there are these very big, scary, rumored budget cuts to the EPA, but that's just Trump's vision and what will actually be in the budget is going to get hashed out in Congress. And that's going to be happening over the next couple of months in March and April. So lots of reasons for folks to get involved and call their senators. Yeah. And is that like still like the number one thing we should be doing is getting, you know, picking up the phone and calling our senators and going to meet with them when we're able? It is right now, um, especially, you know, again, in California, uh, folks might have felt like I don't need to call my senators. They're all good, but they need to they are going to really need to fight like crazy for the California waiver, just as one example. So, yeah, please keep calling them and then also um, be working in your networks, work, call your friends, go out to lunch, have have brunch or something and keep sending postcards and getting more people involved. That's the other really important thing people could do. So. Um, lots going on, but you know, the, the other thing, Anna Jane, this has got me thinking about, and this is, um, uh, a little less sort of political and wonky is stories. And it's got me thinking about stories because, um, I do feel like the Trump administration is out there telling a story, uh, you know, here in West Virginia, they are telling us a story about bringing back coal jobs. I think to the rest of Americans, they're telling a you know, a story of maybe getting government regulators off your back or what have you. And and I've just been thinking about, I think we're so um, kind of overwhelmed right now that I don't know that 
we are very being very proactive in the kind of stories that we're telling about the kind of world that we want to build and the kind of future that we want to create. You know, I don't know. Do you get that? Do you get that sense that we're sort of in like reaction mode and our own story has gotten a little scrambled? Oh, absolutely. I think that that I mean, it's one of the reasons why working on Years of Living Dangerously, who we're going to be interviewing the executive director very shortly for your listening delight. But that's, you know, I absolutely transformed how I think about working in this field, because it's not just about the policies or even the politics. It really is this larger narrative and story about, you know, the world that we want to see. And I do think that that story has definitely gotten lost. And, and you know, it's progressives have never been as good at that, I think, as as conservatives, for for better or worse, we tend to be much more uh, focused on details and and policy. But but I do think now more than ever, in this sea of of information, and and I just you know I think it's probably in some ways very strategic of <laughs> the Trump administration for just inundating us with um, overwhelming and sometimes conflicting information. And the only thing that breaks through in moments like that are really compelling human driven stories about, you know, why, you know, why does the EPA matter to real people? Why do these, you know, California car car standards, how does that affect the person? And I think one thing that Joel said um, in our conversation is, you know, it's, it's, we can't be talking about the issues. We have to talk about the people who are being impacted by the issues or fighting for these issues. And, And we have to put a human story and face to it and really, and I couldn't agree with that more. And I'm I'm really excited to explore what that looks like for me in my life. And I also just think, you know, I think it's so easy to get so lost in, in all of this craziness, you know, for kind of the climate movement at large that we forget to really be intentional about about those stories that, that do move people. Yeah, there's um this Yale Climate Communications Project that we talk about a little in the interview and I looked up the numbers afterwards because I didn't have them handy. Um, they just updated their maps. You should definitely check them out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, 70% of people in America agree that climate change is happening. Uh, 58% are worried about it. Only 40% think it is going to negatively impact them personally. And that was just shocking to me because if you don't think something's going to negatively impact you personally, your initiative or your reason for your motivation for doing something about it is way lower. And and Joel talked about, uh, again, the producer of Years of Living Dangerously talked about that was part of their goal for the project was to tell people these stories so that they can start to understand how it is, it actually is going to impact them personally. And so let's go to the interview with Joel Bach. Uh, but first, listen to this. Hi, my name is Marie and I live in Sevierville, Tennessee. Here is your dinner party climate fact for today. In 2017, for the first time in recorded history, the city of Chicago recorded no snow on the ground in January and February. It's the first time there's been no January or February snowfall there of at least an inch since the National Weather Service began taking measurements over a century ago. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, 
the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So, hello from the worldwide headquarters of Years of Living Dangerously. This is Marianne Hitt, and I am here in person with Joel Bach, producer of Years of Living Dangerously. And hi there, Anna Jane. Hi, how are we all doing? I wish I was there with you. Well, it's okay, you're here in spirit. Yes, so um, let me set the stage for our listeners. So there's the incredible, I would say, no offense anyone else, best climate storytelling anyone has done, has been done by the Years of Living Dangerously, uh, which was a series, the first season on Showtime, the second season just wrapped up on the National Geographic Channel. And it's... Uh, star studded with all sorts of celebrities who tell incredible stories about the threats and the solutions and the real world impacts of our changing climate. And Anna Jane and I became really good friends because we were in the first season together and we had worked a little together, but it was being on the show that uh, was kind of how we became friends. And we are here today with one of the producers, Joel Bach. And we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. Um, and, you know, you were also part of season two, maybe in a smaller way. But however, Bianca was a much bigger part of season two. Yes. So the campaign that I run at the Sierra Club, the Bianca campaign, was featured in the season finale. And, uh, I will say, I don't know that I've had the chance to say this to you yet since I've seen it, um, but you captured the heart and the soul of the work that we're doing uh, in a way that nobody else ever has. And it was just, um, thank you for telling our story and telling it so well. Oh, well, I mean, it's our pleasure. And I, I you know, I'm, okay, I guess I'm going to now pat you on the back because <laughs> we, we just, you know, David and I, David Gelber, my partner and I just um, have always felt that what you guys have done with the Beyond Call campaign is some of the most important work being done on the planet and wow to, thank to, you to shut down to try to shut down and successfully you guys have shut down or helped shut down many coal plants in this country i don't know what the number is now you would know it's, it's almost it's 250 at this point almost 250 mm -hmm. that's an incredible that's about half of and, the the ones that were around as of about five years ago and that's that's taking a direct action on this issue it's it's you know those are that's a concrete win when it comes to the climate uh, in terms of climate, uh, fixing climate change. So, you know, we, that's a story that had to be told. I'm glad that we could do it. Well, uh, let's use that as a starting point. Thank you so much for, um, uh, why did you feel this story had to be told? And for listeners who don't know you and your partner, David, were at 60 minutes and you, you left there to, to take on this very heavy lift of producing this series. And why, why did you do that? 
and kind of tell us the, um, the origin story of Years of Living Dangerously. Okay, this could take a while. I'll, there's, there's, <laughs> a, there's a short version, there's a long version, there's a medium. But um, the, the reason why we decided to do this was uh, I've always cared about the environment. It's been something that I, I grew up in Colorado, up in the mountains. Um, as a kid, we would see the snow pack on Mount Sopris, which was out our, our window. We would see the snow pack diminish every year, every summer. And I remember my friends and I, we would look up at this mountain and wonder what, you know, what the hell's going on here. And you would just see less snow. And, I, you know, that could have been climate change. It could have been something else. But there was a part of us that was terrified looking at this, saying, what's happening here? Why is there less snow each year on the, on the mountain? Um, I'd actually like to go back and see if that was climate change. It's possible. So, um, and when you grow up in a place like Carbondale, Colorado, you're actually surrounded by coal. Um, my, a lot of my friends' fathers were coal miners. And so I, I, I don't have a, I'm close to that industry in the sense that I know, I, I appreciate the jobs it provides and I, and I get it. Um, but as, as um, when I started to work at 60 Minutes, um, we, my, my partner David Gelber and I started to look at climate change stories. And the first story we did was a story on wildfires, on the, the fact that climate change increases the, the veracity of these fires and the frequency of these fires. And um, it's a, a really scary story. And then we started to really look at coal. And at the, at the time we were there, and I think this was around 2003 or four, five. Um, there was a lot of talk about clean coal or the idea of clean coal. So we set out to see if such a thing existed. And uh, and I assume you discovered the fact that it is a marketing slogan and not an actual uh, technology. Or maybe a, another way to say it is it means different things to different people. Yeah, I mean, really, it was, it was I think we discovered that it was largely a marketing slogan as a way to kind of convince the country that coal is good. And they were successful in their campaign. This is the coal industry getting having such success with this campaign that they got Obama on the campaign trail to talk about the importance of clean coal. And I don't think Obama even knew what he was talking about. Right. Um, and so we, we dug into that story and then we started to realize that this is the story. Climate change was the story to tell. And, and you felt like it wasn't being told as well as it should be. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gore had done his film, but by the time we were really kind of digging into the story of climate change, there hadn't been a proper follow-up to his, to his film. And we felt we should do that. We felt there should be another big film that, that gets people talking about climate change and acting on climate. Um, and so David and I would, would meet at this little Greek diner around the corner from 60 minutes. And um, actually, I'm leaving a step out because we, we went to our, to our executives at 60 Minutes and we kept pitching climate stories. And they said, yeah, we understand this is a big story, but we are not going to only do climate change here at 60 Minutes. There's a lot of other stories we're going to tell. There's the Iraq War. There's knuckleball pictures. There's, you know, ballet. And we said, we just want to do climate change. And uh, they said, of course, we'll do a climate change story a year, but we're not going to do much more than that. So... That's what prompted us to think, well, we should probably leave and try to do something else. Uh, we wanted to use celebrities as our 
correspondence because we we just felt that they would have such broad appeal that we would be able to reach a big audience. But also because celebrities, you know, just they're so good on camera, and the ones that um, that we have interacted with are really smart people, and they really care about this issue. Speaking of, right. of concern and showing how this issue really is impacting people, I'm catching up on yours season two. Um, phenomenal job, by the way. Um, and I just watched the most recent or not, the episode with Ian Summerhalder, who. Um, for our listeners, was the celebrity correspondent that um, kind of told me and Marianne's story or, or sort of um, went along the journey with us in, in your season one. Um, but and he's this amazingly beautiful soul and also beautiful person who is the star of um, Vampire Diaries. Famously so. Yeah, <laughs> physically so, very beautiful person. Um, but I was really struck by this episode that he did in season two. Um, we, you know, we share this our connection to the Gulf Coast because both of our families are from here. And Joel, I'm not sure if you know this, but I recently moved back to the Gulf Coast. Um, so I'm literally looking out my window at, you know, the Gulf Coast <laughs> at the water. <laughs> And I was really, um, you know, I've always, it's, you know, it's one of those places kind of like Colorado was for you. This is the place that really um, kind of elicited my original environmental, both love of the environment and also concern. Um, it's, you know, it's very close to Biloxi and New Orleans, which were hugely impacted by Katrina. I've probably been through 10 hurricanes down here in my lifetime. So when Ian was going out and, and studying how, you know, storms of the past have, you know, have come through and what that means for the future was just deeply moving to me. And I was just, I was just curious if you had any, it looks like a really epic adventure and I'd love to hear kind of the behind the scenes story about how that was and what was it like hanging out with Ian again? Um, he's such a, an amazing person. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much to talk about on that episode. It, you know, when we, we didn't even know. So, we were researching stories for season two and we got into contact with this, this scientist at Woods Hole named Jeff Donnelly, who's featured in the story and um, learned that Jeff was, was um, really concerned about the storms that are coming our way because of the work that he was doing, um, taking these kind of core sample, dr this, this drilling of core samples in these underwater caves called blue holes in the Caribbean. And um, he said what he was finding was that, that there's a direct correlation between climate change and storms in the, to, the, in the, to the extent that the warmer the sea surface temperature is, the bigger the storm will be. And so he can look back in time and he can see that in, in periods where the, where the planet was naturally warmer or where the sea surface temperature was naturally warmer, there were bigger storms. And this, you know, or at least that was his hypothesis. And so we said, that's an incredible story. That's, that's a perfect science story, and it's relevant to so many Americans. And uh, his concern is that we're going to have bigger and bigger storms hitting the whole eastern seaboard. And, and so we kind of thought, when, when can we do this? And it was, it was very hard to, to schedule this shoot. And we determined that the one window that would work for him and for the ship that we were going to be working off of was going to be the third week in April. And so then we set about talking to our cast to see who could do that. And, and we reached out to Ian pretty early on and he said, 
he said that I can do that week. That's actually the one week I can do. I can't really do any. That's miraculous. Knowing how crazy his schedule is. Yeah. And, but, but he didn't really know much about the story. We just said, we want to do something for season two and it's going to, we're going to be going out into the Caribbean. There's, there's some work to be done. Um, and by the way, that doesn't sound too bad, right? Being on a, a ship out in the Caribbean Not um, at all. for a week. But um, so then we, we talked to Ian before we started to film and we said, you know, on the phone and we said, we just want to get you up to speed on this story. And we realized very quickly, and I didn't know this. I mean, I'd forgotten that he grew up um, in, in, in Louisiana and he said, this is the perfect story for me because just like you described Anna, Jane, he said, storms have been part of my life. He said, I remember when I was five, that was the first hurricane I can remember came straight over our, our house when I was five years old. And storms have been part of my life forever. And this story matters to me. It really deeply matters. His dad and his brother were in New, in New Orleans when hurt when Katrina hit. Wow. No, that just that part of the story just like made my heart he, sink. And he thought that, and he was on the phone with, I think his dad, he said his dad or his brother, when the storm was was coming right over them, and then the line went dead. Oh my gosh! And he thought for sure he had lost his dad and his brother. He thought they were they were they were dead. And he he you know dropped everything, and as soon as the storm passed, and went to go look for them, and he found them, and they're both they were both alive, but they they were lucky to be alive. Their houses had been completely destroyed. Um, they, they somehow survived the storm and, you know, he helped them try to rebuild and he described this, this post-apocalyptic world in in this kind of lawless world in New Orleans in the aftermath of the storm. And there's details I can't share because they're really too scary to describe, but it was, it's, it's kind of the kind of world that you, you know, you, I don't know if you guys have read the road by Mm -hmm. Cormac McCarthy. But it, it had that kind of feel to it, this kind of lawless existence because of these, the storm. And um, anyway, that's a long way of saying that Ian was the perfect person for, this, for that show or for that story. And his wife, Nikki Reed, joined us on the ship. And we were out to sea for a week uh, on board this, this, this um, science uh, exploration ship called the Aleutia. Um, and it's this incredible ship and they have these submersibles. And so you can actually go down into these blue holes. How amazing. And they have all the technology to do this, these core drilling. So they can like hammer these aluminum tubes down several hundred feet under the water and into the bottom of the, of this, of the ocean and then slam them down and then pull up these mud samples, kind of like ice cores. Um, and those mud samples give you a record of storm history going back thousands and thousands of years. And they can they can tell you exactly when storms hit in certain places, how big they were, and what the what the temperature of the water was at that time. Um, you know, and and this was Ian told us at, at the time. He said when he was a little kid, the idea of going on a National Geographic exploration was at the top of his list. Oh, like that this is kind so of childhood cool. dream. So suddenly there we were. You know, ah. we're with surrounded by scientists out at sea. Scientists out at sea studying something that was near and dear to his heart. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. And the team at Woods Hole could not have been, could not have been better to work with. Um, it's, it's really one of our best stories by far. And it's, it's, it's terrifying what's coming our way. Oh, it blew it's, me away. Uh, the third best after, of course, Beyond Cole. <laughs> and, and 
God, I'm sure. Um, yeah, yeah well, that's the third best after those. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> well, let me, uh, Anna Jane, if, I probably have time for a couple more, but um, if our listeners are not enticed enough uh, to check it out, um, uh, the Beyond Cole story uh, this season was told by America Ferreira. You have uh, um, David Letterman. You have uh, supermodel Giselle, uh, wife of Tom Brady. You've got... Uh, Saturday Night Live comedians. You've just got so many great folks. Is there one more little um, behind the scenes uh, moment that you want to share with folks that might might uh, draw them into checking out an episode? Um, I mean, we had a we had a great shoot with David Letterman in that India. That had to have been, yeah. You know, I I watched the the premiere. At you, I got the great privilege of going to the big red carpet premiere and. New York at the American Museum of Natural History, which was so fun. And I remember thinking, David Letterman, this is basically the first thing he'd done after leaving television it's and thing thinking done, he was going to be serious. Yeah. I was like, well, this is climate change. And we're going to see like the serious David Letterman. And then, of course, he's hilarious. And uh, I thought, well, what was I thinking? Of course, even David Letterman can make even climate change funny. <laughs> I mean, that was what was so great is one, uh, he, David Letterman had never been to India. So wow. this was this was a totally new experience for him as well. He cares about climate change. He had, you know, on his show, he's had a number of climate scientists on over the years, which is what piqued our interest or which is what led us to him. I thought, oh, that's interesting. There is like he's talking to James Hansen. So maybe that means this is something that he cares about. And it turned out it is. He has solar panels on his ranch out in Montana. He cares about this deeply. He's he gets actually he gets he describes feeling highly depressed because of climate change. Uh, he's got a, a a son who might be thirteen now, but at the time of filming was twelve. Um, yeah, twelve, uh, and it's given him a perspective on the world that he didn't have before he was a father. You know that the world is gonna he's gonna be leaving a different world to his son than was given to him. So. Uh, but yeah, filming in India with David Letterman was really a trip. He is, as Marion, you just described, he, we gave him serious questions, you know? We said, here's, here's what you need to do. These are the things you need to ask. But we also just wanted him to just let loose and be himself, and he totally did. And he's, he's just, it's perfect because climate change is a, is a dreary subject. But when David Letterman does it, it's less dreary all of a sudden. And it's highly entertaining to watch this episode. You learn something along the way. He gets to, he goes all over India. He goes to the poorest parts of India. Um, and he meets with the, pre the prime minister. And, you know, we were in, in, in Delhi and in the countryside of India for two weeks. Um, it's a long shoot. And uh, it's, it was life-changing for him. It was life-changing for everyone who was on that shoot. But he couldn't get it out of his head, and I still think it's stuck in there, and he's he's transformed by it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, yeah, I hope everyone can you know has a chance to watch that episode because it's it's great. Um, and then you know, there's a number of other comedians that we brought in to be part of season two as well, and um, and it worked. It's uh, you know, Jack Black is in there, and Cecily Strong from SNL is. There. I loved Jack Black when he was talking to the psychiatrist. I was like, "This is perfect. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Exactly yeah, what that, I needed right now." That yeah, I mean, 
anyway, I don't want to reveal too many of the specific funny things that happen because they're, they're worth just seeing. But, um, but Jack Black in episode two is, is hilarious. Uh, but and also, that's the one that's paired with Ian and his epic National Geographic was, adventure. Yeah. And, but, you know, but even when, but I, I want to be clear that when the celebrities are funny, it's, it's that they're funny in the moment because they're just the comedians. But it's not to say that they don't take the issue incredibly seriously. They do. Uh, it's just that they bring bits of humor when I think it's needed. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, like that that's a good segue into one of i think my final question um but yeah like i was after watching the episode i actually watched it this morning in, in preparation for our talk and i've just been meaning to watch it for forever but i'm like i just bill mckibben like texted out a tweet last week that was like the gulf shore water is warmer than it's you know it was record temperatures or the gulf coast water is record temperatures so the whole hurricane um warm water connection was worrying me and I was you know texting my mom making sure we have flood insurance and hurricane insurance and all of that good stuff on our houses down here um but I was wondering like in that kind of you know humor does bring you know it is a dire conversation and humor does bring some levity to it but you know you have been now immersed for several years in some of the most intense climate stories on the planet um what you know what keeps you hopeful and and not just kind of in a state of you know huge concern and paralyzation um what keeps me hopeful and i think what probably keeps all of us hopeful is that while the impacts of climate change are getting worse and worse the solutions and the direct actions that people and communities and countries and companies are taking are also on the rise and so you know we framed season two as a, as a race against time which is that the the good news is i mean the bad news is getting worse and it really is the the what's happening with climate change is, is exceeding what climate scientists thought would happen five, 10, 15 years ago. Like the, basically, the worst case scenario is coming to become, is, is ending up being the current scenario. But on the other hand, the good news is getting better. And so there's this, there's this race as to which of these narratives is going to win out at the end. Um, of course, it means that we have to have the good one win. And the good one needs to be propelled with more energy and more, you know, uh, more ammunition. And it's just, it's just gotta, it's gotta prevail and prevail faster, but you do see so many signs of progress. So, I mean, I get, I, I kind of don't really know where to, where I sit on this. I don't know how to feel sometimes because we just, we're, we're releasing something, uh, this week and we're going to keep putting out, it's called climate facts. It's hashtag climate facts. And it's, it's basically the facts that exist on the ground right now on climate change. And again, some are really good news facts. The fact is that we have twice as many solar jobs uh, than all fossil fuel jobs when it comes to electricity generation. It's nearly twice as many jobs. That is a fact, not an alternative fact. That's a fact. <laughs> Just a fact now, fact. that's not solar <laughs> jobs versus all fossil fuel jobs, but that's when it comes to electricity generation in this country. There are nearly twice as many solar jobs. I think it's 374,000 solar jobs, um, which is an incredible number of people working on solar, and that's growing every year. Uh, it's going through the roof. So... You know that's that's extremely gratifying to know that. On the other hand, we we report in season two that all the coral reefs on the planet 
will be gone by 2050. By the, so in 35 years or 33 oh, years, all the coral reefs on the planet will be gone. And with it, um, all the sea life that, that lives in those coral reefs and, and, you know, and that provides food for people who live on the coast. So you've got these two things, like you know, you've got this horribly bad news fact, and then you've got this wonderfully good news fact. And you know, we're doing lots and lots of research on both fronts to see what the impacts are and what the solutions are. And they're, they're, they're bad and they're encouraging. Well, so I, I again, I don't really know how to answer that question. Well, I agree with you that um, I, I was with a leader of the Northern Cheyenne at an event about a year ago where he said, it's not too late. He said, I don't know how much longer I can say that, but it's not too late. And we definitely still have time and the window is, is closing, but the I, solutions are, are, they're coming at an increasingly exponential rate. And so, uh, don't, don't lose hope to your listeners. <laughs> what, what I would say is it's too late for some things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because, yeah, because that is true. it's happening right now. And I personally think that it's too late for some coastal cities. I think this is just me personally, based on what we learned. I personally think it's too late for, for Miami. I think Miami is unsavable. That's horrible to say that, but I think that's true. Um, on the other, but does that mean that it's too late to act? No, it means that we're going to lose some things that we hold near and dear to us. On the other hand, there are, there are things we can do to preserve so much more. It's, you know, there's so many things we can preserve. Well, let us know, uh, let the listeners know where they can watch season two if they didn't catch it yet. And then what you're up to next and what they should be looking for from years of living dangerously. Okay. So first of all, all of season one is available for free on YouTube right now. Season two, if you have cable, um, it's on Nat Geo On Demand, all of season two. It's also on iTunes and Hulu and Amazon Prime. Um, and you can see a lot of what we're doing on Facebook. We have now a huge Facebook following. Well, thank you for what you do. Thank you for doing it so well. The world is an uh, indescribably better place because of you and David and your vision and your work. And Anna Jane and I love you and thank you. And listeners, be sure to check out Years of Living Dangerously on YouTube, on Nat Geo, on Facebook, and uh, tell your friends. It's incredible storytelling. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Joel. So good to catch up with you. Love you. Yeah, likewise. And I love both you guys so much as well. And I have only the same feeling about what you're doing for the planet. Um, it's, it's, it's you guys, it's us, and there's so many thousands of others who are all working collectively on this. And it's, it, it takes everyone pitching in to make this thing uh to make it happen. All right. Thanks all. Thanks everyone. All right. That does it for us. Anna Jane and I want to thank you all so much for listening. And big thanks again to our guest, Joel Bach from Years of Living Dangerously. This episode was produced by the distinguished Zach Mack, who still hasn't called his senator. Zach, you need to get on that. Subscribe to us on iTunes and please also leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us out and helps people find the show. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be posting all episodes, updates, and info about upcoming episodes on our Twitter page, at NPLH Podcast. So be sure to follow us there. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, or suggestions, or if you want to be part of our show by reading a dinner party climate fact for an upcoming episode, tweet at us. Again, we are at NPLH Podcast. 
And remember, there's no place like home.